So if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to retrieve them and open them up. Uh, we've made it to Revelation chapter 16. And uh, you have that picture while everybody's turning there. Um, in chapter 16, we're going to briefly talk about uh, four verses here in chapter 15 because it's uh, important. I uh, don't want you to think that I'm skipping over anything. Uh, but you'll see here on this, uh, these, this picture I have, it just kind of lays out these seven bowls. We've made it to the bowl judgments of God. It's the wrath of God that's now being poured out. Up until now, it hasn't been His wrath. It hasn't been His judgment. It's been Him kind of releasing mankind to his own devices and uh, things have been happening but it hasn't been quote-unquote his wrath if there's a distinction there between him allowing things to unfold uh, and then all of a sudden uh, it's his discipline if you will so these are these seven bowls where you've got the sores that are uh, afflicted on those who have the mark of the beast you have the sea that turns to blood. The rivers turn to blood. Mankind is scorched by the sun. Uh, then you have the beast and his government is afflicted with darkness. And everybody's uh, kind of going crazy there. Uh, then you see the, where the Euphrates is dried up uh, and the armies are being gathered together there for, uh, for Armageddon. And then the earth is utterly shaken. The whole earth is shaken, which is with the seventh bowl. And I wanted you to be able to see this, and with this picture here, if you're familiar with the first exodus in Egypt, does this start to sound familiar? It should, because the water was turned to blood, um, then there was an issue with the sun, and the crops are burnt up, and the, uh, there's uh, plagues with the locusts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that come in, and as a matter of fact, even in this section, it's not listed here, um, but you have these demonic spirits that are frogs. Remember, there was a frog plague in Egypt the first time. Um, then with the fifth beast, or, or the beast there in the fifth bowl, uh, the, it says here that the government is afflicted, which it's afflicted with darkness. And if you remember uh, the whole, uh, place, uh, whole country there of Egypt, uh, was covered in darkness, except Goshen, where the people of Israel were, okay? Um, and then the water is dried up, getting ready for this massive battle. Where did the water, where was it pushed back with a battle that God won? The Red Sea. It's, just, it's over and over and over again, here it is. And then the earth itself is literally shaken. So there's some incredible similarities to what's going on here and what happened there. We've got seven here, ten in Egypt, but still uh, the similarities are unmistakable. They're, they're right there. So I wanted you to see that and be able to just kind of picture this because it really is a pretty good summation of this chapter. Uh, to do it justice, we're going to need to back up just a little bit. Last week, I brushed into chapter 15. Chapter 15 is short. It's only eight verses. Uh, we talked about it briefly, where we talked about uh, the sea of glass mingled with fire and all of us being gathered there and the, that they're singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. I want to pick back up with verse 5 in, in chapter 15 and read this uh, first section here before we get into chapter 16 because the bowls come up here 
uh, and I also don't want to skip verses. So in verse 5 of chapter 15, it says, After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came seven angels with seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests, and one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and of His power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now, we don't have time really to dive off into this because there's a few things in here that are actually pretty fascinating. And I actually thought this one would be kind of fun for our home group to, to look at. But a couple of things I wanted, want you to just kind of focus on here for a second is these are four verses, but it's two sentences. It's only two sentences. In these two sentences, the term the sanctuary is repeated four times. Remember, and we've talked about this, that when you see something repeated in Scripture to pay attention, and if you see it repeated in close proximity, pay special attention to it. Well, here we've got this phrase, the sanctuary, the sanctuary, the sanctuary, the sanctuary. It's repeated four times in two sentences that revolve around these bowls of the wrath of God showing up. And it says something else at the very beginning here because it says, after this I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. So this is the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven. So he's seeing a picture in heaven. But there's a question that I would like for you to just kind of think about. Just let it kind of germinate a little bit and... Um, it, this, it says the sanctuary of the tent of witness. Why would it be called the tent of witness? And notice that it says tent. So I'm going to give you a little head start here. It's talking about the tabernacle. Okay? Moses was given the instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Not the temple that's in Jerusalem, but the tabernacle, which was the movable, think of it as the movable worship center of God throughout the wilderness. And then after they went into the promised land, it stayed in the city of Shiloh for 400, I think 450 years. Yeah, a long time. And as a matter of fact, you can go there today. It is in the West Bank, but you can go there today and see where, the, where that tabernacle stood. I've been there. Absolutely amazing. Uh, when I went there, they hadn't even started excavating the place, and now they have. Uh, it's been about 20 years since I was there, uh, but it's absolutely fascinating. Well, that's where that stood. Well, the one that Moses built, was he was told, you're to build this after the pattern of, of the image of the one that's in heaven. He evidently was even given the privilege to see it. Like John is seeing this. You tracking with me on this? Following me? So, um, what I want you to think about is, here he doesn't use the word the 
tent of the tabernacle. They chose to translate it as the tent of witness. Why would it be called the tent of witness? And why is it this area referred to as the sanctuary? I'm not going to answer that this morning. <laughs> I want you all to think about it. Uh, and hopefully we can have some discussions about it on Wednesday. Maybe even next Sunday somebody can say, I think this is what this means or this is what we learned uh, on Wednesday. Uh, I think it's fascinating, but I, I don't want to spend all of our time dealing with that because I want to get into because it's dealing with the bowls. It's the introduction of the bowls. And so I want to read chapter 16 um, because it is just packed with so much stuff. Um, I'm, so I'm going to start with verse one. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple. Now. This is in heaven. You following that? Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful, painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, holy, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God Almighty, True and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. And they were scorched by the fierce heat. And they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and, on its, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness." The people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for the pain of their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Verse 17, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup 
of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds, each fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. And we pray that God would honor the reading of his word. Amen. Okay, so here we've got these, uh, these seven bowls uh, of the wrath of God that's coming out on these people. And the one thing I want you to start off by seeing is that all, si all, seven, uh, all seven of these bowls in chapter 16 are poured out within this one, what we have here as a chapter, in these 20 verses. And it starts off at the very beginning saying that uh, the, first, the first one that gets poured out is on those people who, marked, who were marked by the image of the beast and worshipped the image. Now, um, I know a lot of people, and I, I'm one, I think it could be very easily connected to the uh, microchip. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, if that's really going to be it, it could be something else. I do know this, that when it happens, it's not going to be just a technological thing. I know there's a lot of people like, I'm not taking the chip because that's the mark of the beast. Well, it's technology. It's, uh, when this happens, you will swear allegiance. You're, you're going to know. Uh, so it's not that the technology is evil. It's the swearing of allegiance to this false messiah. And that by swearing allegiance and taking whatever that mark is, even if it is the chip. There, in other words, there are people now that are already taking it. I don't know if you know that or not, but they're already taking the chip. Um, and, uh, but I wouldn't get that all caught up in it. That's my point. Um, it's, if, if, if you take the chip today, that's not the impardonable sin and you're going to die and burn hell or something is what I'm getting at. You know what I'm saying? It's a technological thing. Uh, people used to say that the television was of the devil, and they might be right. But, you know, uh, but, you know if you let that demon in your house, you know, you're going to burn in hell and all that kind of stuff. And, the, and it's gone on and on. And every time there's a technological advance, there are people that espouse that. Does Satan use technology? Well, of course. But that doesn't make it bad. It's like music, you know. Uh, is music evil? No, music is neutral. It can either be used for evil or good. Uh, and it depends on the sounds, literally. Uh, it depends on the words. It depends on where the music came from. There are modern day musicians and some that are well known that even I grew up with listening to and everybody, almost everybody in this room would know them and they come out publicly saying that they have channeled their music that they got their music from spirits that channeled to them the music that are world popular songs that i like it's got a cool beat i grew up with it and now i'm like whoa uh, and so i don't listen to it um, it's neutral and in the same way there is music in heaven and we just sang Right. It's not evil. There was a time when um, people used to say and churches fought over this and split over it. Playing a guitar in the church was just wrong. I mean, wrong. And, now, and on top of that, man, if you had drums in the church, 
well, you're just playing with the ways of the world and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, really? Um, and so my point is that it's, it's just neutral. Technology is neutral. It can either be used for good or evil. I'm using technology today to preach the Word of God. Helps me a lot. I need it, you know, at least for now. Uh, and so I want you to see that um, this, um, this, these sores that break out on these people, it breaks out on those who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And then it says that the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it becomes like blood. And then the third angel, uh, the waters become like blood. And the thing is, after that, this, is, this statement is in here. And once again, there's nothing in Scripture by accident, right? Here's what I want you to see, that after the third angel pours out his bowl, in verse 5, it says, I heard the angel who was in charge of the waters. And this is what he said. Just are you, holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. They have shed the blood of saints and of prophets, and you've given them blood to drink. It's what they deserve. Do you, do you, do you see this? There's this uh, law of God that basically says, you know, you know what I'm going to say. What you sow is what you reap. Whether to righteousness or, or whether unto death. You reap what you sow. If you sow seeds unto righteousness, that's what you reap. If you sow seeds unto sin and death and destruction, that's what you reap. And that's exactly what he's saying here. Oh God, you are the one who was and who is, and you have decreed these judgments, and they are right and true. And then he says exactly in this case, why? These people have shed the blood of your saints and prophets. Therefore, you know what? They deserve to get blood. Let them drink it. You see that? It's important because we're going to come back to that in just a second. And then it says, I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. It is right after that statement that we now have the fourth angel. Pours out his bowl on the sun and it's scorching people. And then in verse 9 it says, uh, They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God, watch this, who had the power over this plague, and they did not repent and give Him glory. A few things here. They know where this is coming from. Because they're cursing Him for it. You ever seen people that are just mad at God? Even today, somebody died in their family, therefore they now hate God. And God shouldn't have let that happen. And if God is a loving God, you know, why do babies die? Why did my husband die? Why, you know, on and on and on. Uh, and, um, and we think, you know, that God is responsible for every one of those things. And it's, so we acknowledge that God is there. But there's a lot of people, though, that when something happens and something bad happens in our estimation that God is responsible, therefore we have the right to get mad at Him, which is insanity. Why is there death and destruction in this earth to start with? Because of us, because we sinned. 
That's why death and destruction and trials and tribulations, we have to deal with it. It started back with Adam, and there's not, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but there's not a person in this room that's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> there's not a person in this room that's perfect. We've all sinned. We've all done dumb things. Um, and that's why there's destruction in the world. And God is waiting for the last person to get saved. He's waiting for the last moment. He's waiting for the moment that He has decreed in time when He will finally set it all straight. And that when that happens, we will finally be outside of time, if you will, because from that point on, we'll live forever, forever either with Him or others will live forever ever without Him. And we'll get out of this linear time frame struggle that we're in right now. Right now, we deal with it all the time and, and we worry about, you know, everything that we don't need to be worrying about because we, what do we usually worry about? We worry about what's going to happen 15 minutes from now or 15 days from now or 15 years from now. When God says, really, you should be more concerned about now, this very second. None of us are guaranteed to see tomorrow. Um, the issue is, uh, we know that God is there, and the problems that are in the world is because we started this mess, and God is preparing a way for us out. We just have to be patient. And that means until then, we're still going to struggle. Um, it, that's just life. It's just life. But here it says that they cursed the name of God who had the power over these plagues. They're getting the plagues because it's, they're getting what they basically asked for and getting what their deeds required. Yet when the judgment comes, instead of repenting, they curse God. Do you see that even though it says they, He's pouring out the full wrath of his indignation. In other words, God is ticked off and he's had enough, right? But even with that, there is the opportunity to repent if they simply would. But he knows that, but they're not going to. Why? They've already picked their path. And once they did this, they reached the point of no return. It's not that God wouldn't get them back. They chose not. They reached the point of no return. There's a danger, people, in not repenting when God speaks to your heart. Because every time you don't, you're putting a callus on your heart. That blister comes up on your hand, you know from shoveling or whatever, pulling weeds, and, and it kind of heals over, and then you got more work to do, and you go out there, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and finally you get these calluses, and you don't feel it anymore. The same spiritual truth is true with your heart. When you constantly refuse to repent, when God speaks to you, you're putting a callus on your heart, and you're, it said, the Scripture talks about their hearts became seared, calloused, Unable to feel, unable to reason, unable to repent. Not that God made them unable to repent, 
but they did it themselves. We do it ourselves. And here we're seeing this where it says they, they didn't repent. In verse 11, they didn't repent of their deeds. It says, in, again, it says, they cursed the God of heaven. Um, they are constantly doing this. At the, very begin, at the very end, when these hailstones are falling down, it says, they cursed God for the plague of the hail. Because it was so severe. Now, <clears throat> there's a few things in here, though, that I want you to see. That's actually fascinating. Once again, we talked about this on Wednesday night. I'm going to try to say it here again to help us understand how, to, how, do you, how do you study your Bible. You need to be comfortable in asking questions. That's why I asked you a couple of questions at the beginning and didn't answer it. I want you to go home and ask the questions. I want you to be uncomfortable and say, why is that there? And I want it to bug you. So you'll go find out. It's okay to ask a question. So here's a question. It says, they cursed the name of God. How are you going to curse the name of God if you don't know what His name is? How is that possible? I curse your name. What is it? I don't know. We're told here that they curse His name. Now, I shared, I don't know if it was last week or week before last, that this, it's coming out now more and more and more. There's now, I believe to date, uh, somewhere around 500 or more manuscripts, biblical and outside of biblical manuscripts, dating back centuries, millennia, uh, with the correct vowel pointing for the name of God. And it is becoming undeniable, irrefutable, that the correct pronunciation of the name of God is Yahovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the, it's the name that's in your Bible 6,827 times. But it's been hidden from you. When it's in your Bible, capital L-O-R-D, when it's the capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the translators translate it as Lord, which is a title. The Hebrew rabbis um, didn't want it pronounced. I'm not going to dive off into that one because I'm not through. <laughs> um, but they came out and said what they did was they put the vowel pointing around those four letters the four Hebrew letters, it's the Yod, the He, the Vav, and the He. That's the four letters in his name. <clears throat> and they put the vowels around it that they're the same vowel pointing for the word Adonai, which is the word for Lord. And you know what's interesting? Even that wasn't true. They, they're proving it now that it wasn't. that's not true. But that's what they were saying. Because what they wanted was when you saw the word Yehovah, they wanted you to say the word Adonai, and they wanted it hidden. Now, the English translators, which is, this is still fascinating, out of, I guess, um, respect to the um, Jewish rabbis, <clears throat> uh, I guess, uh, I, I don't understand this, uh, but out of respect for them, instead of when they would see yod heh vav -Hey, 
they wouldn't translate it as four letters. Like when I type it now in English, I type the Y, V, H. Uh, no. <laughs> y, H, V, H. W, H. Or V, H. Yahovah. It's a V. It's not a Wa. It's a V. Uh, anyhow. Why they, why they didn't do that? So what do they do? They translate it as Lord, and they put all caps there so that you'll know it's actually His name. Just like the Hebrews saying, when you see it, say Adonai, even though you see something else. And so the English version has Lord to tell you, even though it says Lord and you're going to pronounce Lord, it's really His name. Are you confused? You should be. Because it's dumb. But watch this. The rabbis also said that when the Messiah comes, <clears throat> that the proper pronunciation of the name of God will be made known. And it is now happening. Against their better judgment. They are not happy. Oh no, they're not happy. They are bent. Viciously bent. Um, not happy. But it also talks about the, that at the end of time, the Gentiles from the world will cry out to the name of God and praise His name and declare, we've inherited lies from our fathers, which is happening. Can somebody say, uh-oh, or whoopee, or aha, or something, Right? Uh, it's, it's, it's happening, and that's, uh, that's all a good thing, right? Now, here's another thing. So, in this study, as, we're, as I've already read this, and there's another passage I want to get to, and I hope I don't run out of time. Um, the issue is to repent while there's still time. Right? And we want to repent while there's still time, and we want to get as close to God as possible while we have the time to do that, right? And our hope and prayer is that our time is not up tomorrow. Because I still got work to do. I still got, you know, weeds in the field I need to go get out. Can anybody else here other than me relate? Okay. So I've still got weeds in the field I need to go get rid of. And I'm sitting here going, okay. So all those people that said God was going to come back on September the 23rd because there was going to be this great sign in heaven. Well, that didn't happen. Everybody said God was going to come back at the turn of the, the millennium, you know, uh, year 2000 because of the computer bug. That didn't happen. It's kind of funny. You can drive around Mesquite to this day, to this day, and you can see it every single intersection. Every single intersection in the city of Mesquite is kind of funny. And you'll drive by there and there's these little rubber bumpers they're about this big around on the corners well they they went out and installed these poles in the ground where if all the lights went out they could go out there real quick and erect stop signs and then when they didn't need it they just capped them it was everywhere right all I'm saying is that everybody's been saying, you know, that God's going to come back tomorrow. It's going to come back tomorrow. It's going to come back tomorrow. And I keep saying, oh, look, here you need to look for something. One of the things we need to look for is the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. We've been talking about that. 
you need to be looking for them starting the sacrifices in Israel. Don't speak out against it when you see it. We, we got that, right? Uh, the Antichrist will come and stop it. Those are the things we need to be looking for. But here's something else. The name of God is going to be made known throughout the world. Right as the time that the Messiah is coming, I would say back, not coming the first time, but coming back. You following me? And here it says that they're going to curse the very name of God. They're not going to curse a title. Why am I saying that? Because the term for Lord is the same term as Baal. Baal means master. The term for Lord means master. It's the same term. So they're not going to be cursing Lord. They're going to be specific. You know what the good news about that is? Kind of tells me we've got about another 15 minutes. I've still got a little bit of time to go get some more weeds out. I've got a little bit more time to repent and get my life right before the trumpet sounds. Hallelujah. I think that's good news. Now, I'm not telling you to go out there and sin like, you know, an idiot. You, you, you following me? I am saying, I believe this is telling us we got a little bit of time. I think that's also true because they're not offering up sacrifices. It hasn't started. I'm addicted, y'all. I'm sorry. I'll go ahead and confess it. I am just addicted. I look on the internet probably five to ten times a day looking, looking for it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't. Because <laughs> I might miss it. But I do. I look at the news in my uh, Israeli and world news websites constantly looking for the moment when there's some hint that it's about to start. And they've already built all the furniture. They've already built the altar. It's, everything is there. It's in pieces, the altar. All they got to do is go out there and stack it up. They could start sacrifices in an hour. In an hour, they could start it up. All they need is the word go. Um, we're, ge we're getting close. But the interesting thing here is it says that they curse the name of God. Psalm 74, verse 18. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and a foolish people reviles your name. Isn't that amazing? Then there's something else here. It says uh, in verse 14, these demonic spirits. <clears throat> It says in verse 13, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, now the mouth of the beast, now the mouth of the false prophet. The beast and the false prophet, there's two beasts. Then the dragon is Satan himself, Lucifer. Okay, so there's the three. You have the leader, his progeny, and his prophet pointing people to the progeny, which is a counterfeit trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Satan's always trying to mimic 
God. And it says that out of each one of them comes a demonic spirit that looks like a frog. And these demonic spirits go out to, uh, to bring all the armies together to fight against God. Well, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, latter times would be when? Latter times would be end times. Latter times would be what we're reading right now. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Did you see that? I split this up like this on purpose because I wanted it to jump out at you. First of all, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, that would be what we're reading and studying in Revelation. Some will depart from the faith. Who would that be? In the church. Huh. Very big word right here. They're going to depart from the faith by... This word by, by, because of, or in the process of doing something. They're going to they're gonna leave the faith by, and they're going to devote themselves to deceitful spirits. Huh. Deceitful spirits, which are actually teachings of demons. Here we're reading that these demonic spirits that come out of the mouth or out of the authority of this false trinity, they, they perform signs and miracles that are real. They actually do them. And therefore, people will devote themselves to them because they see a miracle. Which once again, to remind you, goes back to Deuteronomy 13, the first five to ten verses. <clears throat> and so, I want you to see how this is in here in a specific way for a specific reason. God doesn't put the words in Scripture just kind of at random, right? It's all in here. Words mean things. <laughs> it says that these demonic spirits, they come out of them and they're performing signs and they go all over the world basically to all the kings of the world and they assemble all of them for battle for the great day of God Almighty. For the, the day of the Lord is what it's saying. End time judgment. And then all of a sudden, there's verse 15. It just kind of stuck in there. Don't you love it how they put it in red for us? Well, and the reason is, <clears throat> because he says, behold, I'm coming. Well, who would that be? That's Yeshua, right? Behold, I'm coming, and I'm coming like a thief. <clears throat> 
you need to remember now, if you go back into the Gospels and everything, and you go all through Scripture, you find out the one that he's coming like a thief for isn't the lost. Yeah. When he comes like a thief, he says, it's, it's to those that are his that aren't ready. That's why in Revelation chapter 3, he's standing outside the door of the church knocking. Over and over and over. We already went over this. He said, you need to make sure that I don't come like a thief. If you don't wake up, church, I'm going to come like a thief. So here he's saying, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. We don't have time to chase this out this morning. Maybe this would be another good one for Wednesday. This issue of keeping his garments on, folks, that's the good deeds of the saints, the works of the saints. How do we know what the good deeds are? Are they the good deeds that you think are good in your heart? They're the good deeds that God said, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Now, why did God have John, why did he lead the Messiah to give this revelation of himself to John to be given to us? And we have this issue of these demonic spirits and all this. And all of a sudden, oh, by the way, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not be that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And when you just read that superficially, without really understanding everything that the Scripture's really talking about, you read that and go, well, yeah, I don't want to be running around naked. Nobody wants to see that. Right? And then you just go on. You're like, I, have, I don't know. I mean, what? Uh, I, don't, I don't know why that's there. Let's just go on to the more fun stuff. And that's typically what we'll do. Once again, it's okay to ask questions. You, you following what I'm trying to help us see? So you, we should go through here and go, okay, well, we got judgment, 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 judgment. And all of a sudden, Jesus pops in here and says, you know what? Behold, I'm going to come like a thief. And you know what? If you keep your clothes on and you don't run around exposed, then you're going to be blessed. Okay. Well, why is that in there? Well, once again... What is it following? The demonic spirits. And what were we already told in Scripture? This is where you have to start chasing some stuff down, going, okay, demonic spirits, what is that? And as a matter of fact, let me see if this one has it. If it'll come up quick enough. It's not going to do it. This is, I have this love-hate relationship with it. There it is. Uh, if you have a concordance, electronic concordance on your Bible, or in, if you have a paper Bible, you might have a, a, a letter there by the word demonic spirits. Anybody here in your Bible have a reference or a small letter or something there close to the words demonic spirits? If you have an ESV Bible, you should have one because that's what I'm looking at. And mine is the letter Y. I don't know if that's what it's going to be. It should be even if you have a written Bible. That was a question, by the way. Anybody? Nope. Okay, I did get an answer. Thank you. I got an answer back there. Can I get one? Can I, go, can I get two? Okay. Uh, and so mine here for this reference actually gives me that verse. 
This is one of those times when you can use the concordance and find something very, very helpful. Sometimes it'll make you crazy, but sometimes it can be very, very helpful. Here it says demonic spirits. It takes me to that very passage there in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. And it says that in latter times, there will be people that will fall, by the fall away from the faith by devoting themselves to unclean spirits and teachings of demons. In this passage, Jesus is saying, there's these unclean spirits coming. You need to make sure that you're not devoting yourselves to the teachings of demons. Now, here's the hardest hurdle to get over with that. And I'm going to say something that might upset you at first, but just because it's a teaching of demons doesn't mean that it's wrong or untrue. Yes, they are false, meaning they're not of the truth of God, but it doesn't mean that what they're teaching doesn't mean something won't happen. Just because it's a truth doesn't mean it's a good one. Doesn't mean it's of God. And that if you do certain things, there will be certain things or repercussions or benefits or whatever. What we don't realize is that God goes, if you do that, I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for. The problem is you don't know what you're talking about. Have you ever had a child that just would not listen? <laughs> and he pops out, uh-huh. Um, and sometimes you just go, you know what, this is going to hurt, but I, I don't know how else for them to learn this lesson. Parent, have you ever, any parent here ever, right, where you just go, I hope we don't have to go to the hospital. But this is just, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, they're not going to listen. We're the same way spiritually with God. And so many times we just, we won't listen. And he goes, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give you what you're asking for. And hopefully you don't die in the process. And you'll repent. Well, this is what he's saying right here. Now, here's a weird question, though. I thought we were all gone. Hmm. I thought we were all gone by now. I thought all the saints were up in heaven going, Woo, look at all that mess down there. Y'all should have asked him. Is that getting you to thinking? I mean, why would he put this here in the midst of this? Well, it's what I've been trying to help us understand and wrap our brains around. There was an exodus at the beginning, right, with Egypt. And God poured out his plagues, but he protected his people. Those that were following him. And there were Jews in Egypt, watch this, that didn't come out. So they suffered just like the rest of them because they had already bought into the system. Not all of them came out. 
only those that were really faithful. But then once they did come out, God had to purge the rebels out. But He protected them and did His thing with them. And they didn't experience His wrath that He poured out on Egypt. When they came out, they experienced His wrath poured out on them for what they were doing there. Does that make sense? What happens in the next issue in this tribulation period is the exact same thing. This is the wrath being poured out on the world because they refuse to follow God and worship Him. And there's these teachings of demons going around. And through this whole process, God is still saying, be careful. Be very careful. That we need to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Watch this. No matter what you see. Or what somebody tells you. If it does not line up with Scripture, you need to run from it. You with me? <clears throat> it needs to line up with the Scriptures. Um, a couple more things, and I'm not going to have time to chase this whole other verse, this whole other passage. Matt, would you pull that up there just so we get the reference? Um, it's Isaiah chapter 24. It's the whole chapter. You go home and read it. That's another good one for Wednesday. But go home and read it. And what you're going to find in that whole chapter is amazing. In that whole chapter, he's describing what we're looking at here in Revelation chapter 16. But he says something at the very beginning there that is absolutely fascinating. And it's a verse that I remembered. It's why I went here. And then I went and looked at it and went, oh, my gosh. I was just trying to remember the one verse. Because in the latter half of this, in Revelation 16 here, it talks about this. there's going to be a great earthquake. Right? It's going to be this really massive earthquake. Well, in Isaiah, uh, yeah, this verse, the very first verse. It says, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. Look at this. And He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. It says He's going to twist it. That's why here in Revelation it says, There's going to be an earthquake like nobody has ever felt before since man was walking on the earth. Wow. And it says that the great city is going to split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and god remembered babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath that doesn't sound good does it um this is in verse 19 i want you to notice here that it says god remembers babylon the great Meaning he didn't forget it. Remember we already talked about Balaam, how God didn't forget that. He keeps coming up here in the book of Revelation and everything because of what he was doing. And here again we're going to see where it says that God remembered Babylon the Great. And because he remembered everything that she's done, is doing, and will do, 
Um, and no, we're not going to try to solve that today because the next two chapters deals with Babylon. And there's every theory in the world out there. You know, it's the Pope and it's Rome and it's the United States and it's New York City and it's the UN and on and on and on. Uh, we're gonna, we'll deal with that over the next couple of weeks. But <clears throat> the one thing I want you to see here is that God remembered it. And he remembers all that they've done. And he's still angry. And he says that he's going to cause her to drink the cup full. Wow. Make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Because he's that angry over it. And it just reminds me of our need to align our lives with what the Scripture says and stop aligning our lives. Watch this, because we all do it. We have to stop aligning our lives with what makes us happy. It's what I'm comfortable with. It's what it, it's, it's, this is what it means something good to me. The dumbest logic I've ever used, and I've done it. Anybody else here other than me done? I mean, it's just, it's, isn't that dumb? I'm like, this is what makes this is This is what it means to me, God. Aren't you pleased with this? Right here, again, it says, God remembers what she was doing. Oh, but we never did anything evil. <laughs> He says he remembers it and he's going to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And it, while he's doing this, these great hailstones come down. They're 100 pounds. They're falling down on people. And what happens? People still don't repent. They still curse God because of what's happening. Why? Because they've already picked sides. And I think that's why that phrase is in there by Yeshua himself saying, you need to pick sides and you better pick it before that time happens. And though there are people that say they've picked sides. They said the right things. But then all of a sudden these teachings of demons show up and they're doing miracles and they go, well, it must be true. That must be okay. Doesn't matter. I don't know what the Word of God says, but it doesn't matter what that says. I hear this, and I'm seeing these things happening. And this person and that thing is doing this, and miracles are happening. And you can't deny that it happened, so it must be right. So I'm going to go with that. Meaning, they didn't really choose a side. They were just going with what was comfortable at the moment. What it means is that at the moment they supposedly asked Jesus to be their Savior, what they were really doing was, God, can you get me out of this mess? I'll come to you, God, if you get me out of this mess. And then all of a sudden, you know, life starts to calm down, and then you, you, you get into your rut. And you learn this church thing. And you get it working. And you know, when it gets bad, what do you do? You call your church family to help you get out of the mess. 
when you just really mess your life up royal, what do you do? Well, then you finally go tell the pastor what you've been doing so he can pray for you and get you out of this mess. I've been doing this a long time. I'm talking from experience. Right? Instead of, God, I'm yours. And I'm committed to you, lock, stock, and barrel. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my best to do what you say. And every time I don't, I'm repenting and begging God to forgive me and to help me stop doing these dumb things. That's somebody that's sold out to God. doesn't mean you're perfect. You following with me? I'm not saying that you're not supposed to call me and ask me to pray for you. Okay? Um, but I want you to understand this concept of the priesthood of the believer. Your prayers are just as good as mine. I'm not, I'm not your Messiah. No preacher is. No person is. God is. And His Word is your guide. Not what I say. I'm going to say it again. Everything you hear me preach on, go home and check it out for yourself and tell me if it lines up with the Word of God or not. I almost double-dog anybody that listens to this to do that with most preaching today. I'm sorry, but most of it doesn't line up with the Word of God. It makes me crazy. I'm thinking about the massive number of believers out there that are listening to dribble. It makes me nuts. Because it's just good platitudes and let's get rear ends in the seats. God, God says, if you devote yourself to that junk, you're going to get it. And just because you see a miracle or whatever doesn't mean it's true if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. There's only, and I can't do this for you. You're going to have to read it. You're going to have to get it in here. The only way you know how to ride a bicycle is to put your rear end on it and pedal. That is the only way to learn to ride a bike. You can watch videos all day long. You can listen to mom and dad all day long. You can whatever. The only way to do it is you got to put your rear end on it and pedal. And you're going to fall down. And you got to get on it again and pedal. And when you're scared, pedal harder. Right? And then all of a sudden it clicks. Right? And then, man, you're just busting it down the street. Well, you got to do it. The only way to be able to know if what you're hearing is according to the Word of God, you got to get into the Word of God. You got to bury it in your heart. You got to know it. You got to memorize it. You got to learn. It's got to become the most important thing. If what we're studying is true, I mean, we actually believe this. And that the last generation is going to be the generation when Israel reappears as a state. I'm assuming Israel's really over there, and I'm assuming I really went over there 20 years ago. It happened in 1948. Well, then we're the last generation. 
is, it's okay to ask a question? I mean, if these things are true, if two and two is four, then four and four should be eight. I'm just guessing, but it's, I'm not a real sharp mathematician, but it should be eight. If these things are true, and these are the warnings we're getting, there's only one thing really important for you and I, and that's to learn this book. Nothing else is going to matter. I don't care if you figure out who the Antichrist is and who the beast is by name. You can find out who they are today, and you can actually name them. Well, whoop-de-doo. What is that going to do for you? Nothing. Is it going to stop anything just because you know who it is? No. Is it going to slow down the pace? No. There's only one thing that can help you, and that's knowing what this Word says and aligning your life with it, because when we don't, that's what we're going to get. Right? So here's the good news. It says they're going to curse His name. Well, that tells me we got about another 15 minutes to figure this out and align our lives with God because it's only just now really coming out. The sacrifices really haven't started yet, so we've got a little my point is we got a little bit of time. Unless you're banking on the pre-trib rapture and then if you're banking on that, why even study the book of Revelation at all? Why is it even in your Bible? If we're going to bug out of here early, why study it? Why would Jesus say you need to look for these things if we're not going to be here? I think Jesus really was a son of God. I think he knew what he was talking about. I think he meant what he said and said what he meant. So the good news is we got time to repent. Let it be today. Let it be now. Let it be in the days and weeks and months ahead. Um, and, and fear not because your God loves you. And when we're lining up our lives with him, you realize you'll do mighty things for Him in His kingdom? Mighty things. I think it's in that passage in Isaiah. It, it talks in there about the people. It just blew my mind. I'm pretty sure it's in that passage in Isaiah. From the west are going to cry out. Wow. Are going to cry out to God. Where are we? Wow. And what are we doing? We're crying out to Him. Calling out to Him. Help us. Show us. Guide us. Teach us. Help us be ready. Help us show people your truth.